2: Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called Baker's Dozen. I thought of that. You see, I used to be a baker. Everybody was always asking for an extra bun or an extra donut or one more Parker house roll when they bought a dozen, see? That's supposed to be some kind of old-time custom or something for bakers. I wouldn't put out. Not me, I tell him. Not me. Don't you know 13's an unlucky number, I'd say? And wise guy would always say, unlucky for who? I'd say unlucky for any baker that gives away stuff, I'd say. So maybe made laugh, and I never lost very many customers, I guess. Anyway, you try and get a baker's dozen of anything nowadays from anybody. You get a hole in your head quicker. Well, so baker's dozen is a kind of cute name for a story, I think this and see if it ain't, huh? I have this wife, see, and she has a tough time with me. I'm always biting the top off a bottle of schnapps and coming home and taking pics out. I love her, sure, sure, I love her. But I'm a great big schmo that ain't got sense enough to leave the bottles in the saloon. When I got eight, nine slugs to me, I'm a double schmo. Charlie Brooks already has given me the heave-ho 64 times, and... Well, for a long time, I'm not very welcome at Charlie's bar. He said once, if he knowed how to make a Mickey, he'd present me with a double one for free. So I'm not one of his favoritest fellas, see? And with my old lady, every time I come home singing three cheers for Jones Jr. High, he starts ducking. Because I don't like what she's got for supper, or why don't she get a new dress, she's been biting her fingernails again, and boom, I'm giving her hits. That's me. The schmo in spades. Don't make any difference I'm nice to her when I'm not drinking that stuff, because I'm practically always drinking the stuff, and... Man, I'm sorry. But so what? And do you think she ever hangs on a my chin? No, she don't. And she don't holler copper on me either. One time there was a cop that lived next door and he hears me pushing her around. He comes in. She says she hit her nose on the door. The cop gives me the ugly look and what does she do? She kisses me. And what can the cop do? Go away, that's what the cop can do. I see. Why is a woman a lover schmo? I get carried away telling you about myself. I got to tell you the story. Listen. I was on this jury. A lot of times I've been called for jury duty, but I'm just like you. I always try to get out of it. With me, it might interfere with my bottle department, see? Only this time I don't put up a beef, I take it. You ever been on a jury? Well, I guess you know how it is, then. Nobody pays any attention to you. You just sit there like a lug, like everybody else. You might as well be in West Overshoe or Kansas, Arkansas or whatever, as far as the rest of the jury is concerned. Guys hollering at witnesses and bobby-soxes of all ages and sexes watching the police show and hoping to hear some dirt. I get bored. Well, I did have a hangover... So I never come to till quite a while after the trial had begun. You know how a hangover is. Yeah. So I had kind of blank spaces in what I heard, you know? First I hear the doctor saying what it was caused this guy to croak, and it was something about traumatic synthesis of the, the scravenies or something, and it got caused by applying a blunt instrument to the fellow's noggin kind of hard, so he had the scravenies, and he's a dead pigeon. Then another fellow stops up and down in front of the jury box. He says, he's going to prove this dame done it. He's going to buy gravy, have her hung. If only the fine jury will cooperate. And another fellow with a red mustache, he objects. And there's a copper that says, yeah, he found the guy with his noggin bent in, And yada, yada, the yada, yada, all over the place till my noggin hurts. And eh, I kind of go to sleep or something. Then I am... Waked up like sticking a pin in me. You know, I'm telling you about this Charlie Brooks that I used to drink at his bar. Well, who is all of a sudden sitting on the witness stand to Charlie Brooks? Listen. My name is Charles Brooks.
3: Your occupation, Mr. Brooks. I am a bartender. And a very good one, I hear.
2: And I pipe up and I say, he makes the best martini in town. See, I don't hold no grudges because after all, I'm a schmo and he should throw me out. Nobody even looks at me. there. I just goes right on.
3: Did you know the deceased, Mr. Brooks? I certainly did. I see. And what sort of man was he, Mr. Brooks? Uh, I would say he was not a good man. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, he was quarrelsome. Quarrelsome? When he drank. Just like me, huh, Charlie? Did he drink at your bar often, Mr. Brooks? He used to, but I've refused the him for several months. Just like me. (coughs) Well, he came in the night he was murdered. Uh, I mean the night he died. He he wasn't murdered. Move to strike that last part out, Your Honor. Strike it out. Confine your statements to answers to my questions, please, Mr. Brooks. The jury will decide if murder has been committed or not.
2: Uh, Yes, sir.
3: Now tell me, Mr. Brooks, did you know of any quarrels this man had with his wife uh, yes, sir, I, uh... How did you know? He told me. That was one of the reasons I told him not to come back to my bar. I see. <coughs> you said you saw him the night he died. Uh, yes, sir, he came in drunk and wanted to buy a drink, but I said no, and I threw him out. Personally? Uh, personally, yes, sir. It's quite impossible, isn't it, that any, uh, injuries you might have inflicted on him and throwing him out could have resulted in his death? Uh, Would you repeat the question, please? Uh, Let me put it this way. You don't think that you injured him badly enough to have caused his death? Mister, I kicked him. You didn't kick him in the head? No, sir. I did not kick him in the head. You would say that he was a bad, vicious, wicked man then, Mr. Brooks? I certainly would. (coughs) And that he gave others good cause to kill him? I certainly do. I mean, he did. Especially his wife. Mister, they should give her a medal. That will be all, Mr. Brooks.
2: And here comes Charlie stepping out from the witness stand and walking across the floor past the jury box right in front of me. And I grin at him and I whisper, Hi, Charlie. How you doing? And you know what? He don't give me a tumble. But well, he couldn't help hearing me, but he don't even look at me. Well, all right. Next time you see me in your bar, Bud, you ain't going to see me. That's a fact. What, you think he is a big shot because he's a witness in the court? What is this? But that ain't the only surprise I get, Charlie Brooks. There's this copper that lived next door, like I said, Dominic Gaffigan, his name is?
3: Your name is Dominic Gaffigan? Yeah, it is. And are you a police officer? I am. You live next door to the defendant's place of residence. I do. Have you ever been in the defendant's home? I have. On what occasion, Officer Gaffigan? It was on March 18, 1947, at 7:45 p.m. I was attracted by the sound of an altercation. What kind of sound, officer? Uh, like a man beating his wife and uh, her whimpering like. Go on. Well, I put out my head from the door, and the door to the defendant's apartment was open. And I looked in, and I saw the defendant running across the room, crying. And there was a rip in the waist of her dress, and she was bleeding at the nose. And what did you do? I entered the apartment. Go on. In the apartment, I saw the deceased, uh, who was drunk at the time, and he was shouting implications at the defendant. What did he say? He... <clears throat> he cursed her. Very well. And what did he do? Uh, he started across the room after her, and uh, I stopped him. How did you stop him? I said stop Only that? Uh, hand against his chest like. I see. And then what happened? Then the defendant turned on me and she asked me what I was doing in their apartment. Did you answer her? I did. What did you say? I said I came in to prevent murder. And what did she say to that? She turned on me. Said she had bumped her nose on the door. There was going to be no murder and I should go away. And did you? Well, I remonstrated with her, uh, on the face of the evidence. But she would have none of me. And then she turned and kissed her husband and said she loved him. So I came away then. I see. And it is still your impression that your arrival on the scene prevented murder? It is. You think he would have murdered her? I do. And have you any knowledge of other... uh altercations between the defendant and the deceased officer gaffigan
2: i have i stood up and i said
3: gaffigan you know you're the biggest liar on the police force gaffigan you know perfectly well that what you told that fellow was what happened at my apartment pretty near a year ago and you're trying to hang something on some poor schmo and you know that happened to me and elsa you're a stinker gaffigan yes sir i think the woman would be perfectly justified in killing the man
2: You see? That's a cop for you. And I hollered out again. That Gaffigan's a liar, Judge! But nobody even looked like they heard me. Only the guy that was doing the questioning, he turned around toward the jury a minute, and he looked at us. He looked at us so long, the judge leaned down and said,
3: What's the matter, Mr. Cunningham? I'm I'm sorry, Your Honor, but every time I glance at the jury box. I get the distinct impression that there's an extra juror there. Are you sure you feel all right, Mr.
4: Cunningham?
3: Well, I'm sorry, sir. I've I've been having a little trouble with my eyes lately. Well, I'm sure you're at liberty to count the jurors, Mr. Cunningham. Thank you, Your Honor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine... 11, I am sorry, Your Honor. You may proceed, Mr. Cunningham.
2: The guy walked away, but he still looked kind of puzzled. I looked at the other jurors, and every one of them was doing what he'd done. counting. I watched him, and they all turned back to the courtroom. He was satisfied he was only 12. I couldn't help counting too. One, two... Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. eight, nine, ten, eleven. Twelve. That's right. Twelve. But I didn't count myself. I'm thirteen. I make the baker's dozen. I yelled at the DA. Hey! There is thirteen of us here. Hey! He makes like I'm not there. He don't even look over his shoulder at me. I yell again. Hey! But he's talking to a woman on the witness stand. Will you state your name?
4: Mrs. Elsa Bronson.
2: My eyes pop out. I stand up. Hey, that's my wife! What are you doing here, Elsa?
3: And your place of residence?
4: 1313 North
3: Costley. Now, Mrs. Bronson, will you please tell the jury exactly what happened on the evening of January 13th?
4: I was alone in the apartment.
3: Uh, speak up, please, Mrs. Bronson.
4: I was alone in the apartment. My husband often came home late. So I was not alarm when it became 7 o'clock and then 8 o'clock...
3: What were you doing, Mrs. Bronson?
4: I was ironing.
3: Ironing what?
4: My husband's shirt.
3: I see. Uh, go on. Uh,
4: when it became 9 o'clock... I became a little bit alarmed. Why? Because... Was it
3: because you were sure your husband was drunk somewhere?
4: My husband does not drink so much. Was
3: it because you were afraid that he would come home drunk and beat you up? No. Mrs. Bronson, your husband had beaten you up before, hadn't he? No. You heard what Officer Gaffigan said, didn't you?
4: I I told him the truth. I did strike my nose on the door.
3: You didn't strike it on your husband's fist? No. No. He has never struck you? Never. Mrs. Bronson, did you, uh, did you hate your husband?
4: I loved my husband, sir.
2: Even when he beat you?
4: He did not beat me. I loved him and he loved me.
2: I couldn't stand it any longer. I jumped up again. I said, listen, you, what's this here all about? What are you doing with my wife? Elsa, what are they doing to you?
4: I loved my husband.
2: Elsa, I love you.
3: If you loved him so much, why did you kill him? What the devil are you talking about? What is this stuff? Listen to me. I'm talking to you. You hear me?
4: I love him. Sure,
3: she loves me and I love her. Furthermore, I'm not going to let you make a fool of her anymore. You hear me? You loved him, so you killed him. What are you talking about?
2: And then I got the big idea. Then I all of a sudden knew why the guy thought there was 13 of us in the jury box. And why there was I could see it I heard of things like that But I didn't believe in ghost stories Or whatever they are Only I knew something now You know what I knew Sure I was dead I was a ghost I was sitting on the jury While they was trying my wife for murdering me Couldn't be anything else, could it? I was dead They said I was dead They said Elsa murdered me. You murdered your husband, Mrs. Bronson.
4: I was ironing. I was so tired. I was so afraid.
3: Afraid of him?
4: Yes. I was afraid of him.
3: He did beat you then.
4: Why should I lie?
2: Yes, a dead guy can say a say. Even if nobody can hear him. I know you loved me. And I loved you. Always. I don't know how this happened, Else. But whatever it was, I had it coming, didn't I? I asked for it. Nobody in the world would ever believe that I loved you. Nobody but you. I don't know what they'll do to Elsa. Well, I wish I could take the rap for you. It isn't enough. Just being dead. And it
4: was nine o'clock and then ten o'clock. And I was so tired. And so I went and made myself a uh, bite to eat alone. And then I came back to the ironing. I'm afraid I'm slow at my work. But I'm very careful.
3: And you were ironing when he came in?
4: Yes. Yes, I was ironing. The door opened, and I saw at once that he had been drinking. He walked across the room to me, and he stood there and smiled at me, the way he always smiled when he was angry. And he said, he said, "What are you doing, Elsa? Ironing?" And I said, "Yes." He he pushed the ironing board against me and fell, and, and the iron on my hand, and he bent over to pick me up, and I struck him with the iron. I'd never struck him before.
2: of the jury box and she looked at each one of the other 12 people. The man who said he was a bookbinder and the young salesman the girl with the red feather in her hat and all the rest of them. And when she had looked at each one of them, she looked at me. And she saw me. I know she saw me.
4: Come, Erving. Come home with me.
2: I got up from my chair the little gate in the jury box and I walked along with her. And we went through the little fence in front and down the aisle and Charlie Brooks got up and walked on one side of her and Dominic Catholic and the policeman he got up and walked on the other side of her and we walked out. And there was another policeman with us and I was walking behind them. And when we got out of the courtroom it it was all all dark out there and and I felt awful. And I just got one glimpse of her as she turned her head over her shoulder. And I was walking in the dark for a long, long time. And I didn't know where I was and, and then all of a sudden it was awful bright and I felt somebody kick at me. And that was Charlie Brooks.
3: And if you ever come back in this place again, drunk or sober, I'll beat your brains out. You hear me?
2: And the door closed behind him. And I was in the snow. And my head hurt worse than ever. I get up. And I walk in the snow. I staggered. I stagger a long, long way in the snow. I'm going home. That's where I'm going home. And this is the house. And this is the stairway. Standing there. Alongside the ironing board. Hey. I'm not dead. What you doing, Elsa? Ironing? Oh. Listen to Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper. Irving, the man who spoke to you, was Ernest Chappell. And Elsa was Lada Stavisky. The district attorney was Jim Bowles. Gaffigan was played by Ed Latimer. Charlie Brooks was Murray Forbes, and the judge was Harry Worth. The original music for Quiet, Please is composed and played by Albert Berman. Now, for a word about next week's Quiet, Please, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. I've got a story for you next week called The Green Light. So until next week at the same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chapel. Quiet, please, comes to you from New York. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Following station
3: identification, you'll hear and now.